0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here for the purpose of growth. As always, our growth will come through the scriptures. Join me in uh, Genesis again this morning. We are looking at some uh, blessing passages from our study from last week. And uh, we're going to run right through them again. So more of them again today. Let's start with, uh, there's a whole string of these in um, chapters 24, 25, and 27. So let's head to that part of Genesis. Last week I was so stuffed up and so full of pseudopheds and antihistamines and it's almost like being drunk, you know, you're just kind of lightheaded and kind of not really with it. Yeah, just kind of, at least from what I've been told, that's what drunkenness is like. I, I won't admit to knowing anything personally. All right, can we get those doors please? Appreciate it. Is there somebody in the nursery? Do you know? Maybe. Okay. Oh, Violet just got here with her mom. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. There's nobody back there. Okay. Alrighty. We'll get situated here. Turning to Genesis. Let's start with 27. And then... Uh, That's right, where we had left off with Jacob and the birthright and the blessing and the issues here. And let's uh, start with prayer ask the Father to bless our study, shall we pray? Dear Father, we do thank you for the truth of of your word and the privilege and blessing we have to assemble together. Father, we um, commit our time to your hands for your ongoing blessing, for your guidance and direction the matters that we study, the matters that we uh, take in. Father, we pray that uh, this study would be far greater than a a simple academic process, that we might, uh, in our soul, begin to implant the truth and the reality of your your word. Father, uh, we want to learn so that we can live in a manner that gives maximum glory to your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. If you are following along in the outline, then we are uh, in main point four, sub point B, the rapid survey of happiness and blessing passages. And we're handling right now the last of these, the blessing passages. Under the happiness heading, we went through quite a number of issues there that pertain to the Makarios joy, the Makarios happiness or the Asherah happiness from the Old Testament and uh, saw the privileges we have to identify with the Word of God, that uh, truly the life of happiness is the life of those who hear the Word of God and do it. Now under the blessing passages, we uh, last week got a good start on this and kept it still within the scope of Genesis. Uh, Genesis has more to say about blessing than all the rest of these other passages. So let's see. We've covered already these early ones. I'm going to do this just so I can keep my place. Through Abraham. Through the sacrifice of Isaac. Through the bride for for, uh, Isaac. And on here into 27. Look how huge 27 is. Fills the screen, doesn't it? All right. Some of the things we're observing so far with respect to blessing, uh, as it relates to the Abrahamic covenant, that the blessings of God are grounded in who and what he is. His character, his good purpose, his intention, that he has selected Abraham and he will bless Abraham. Not because Abraham's earned it or deserved it, Because God selected Abraham and in his sovereignty and in his grace, he is working out his plan through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see this again and again and again. It's important that we identify with that because as a Gentile nation here in the dispensation of the church, as a Gentile nation, our national blessings or our national cursings will come about based upon our national leaders and their attitude towards Israel. And if our national leaders and national government are hostile to Israel, and our national government actually curses Israel, well then uh, you don't need to be a prophet to be able to to know in advance what's going to happen. Um, it was already prophesied, and it's very clear. It's played itself out throughout the history of the world. So these are things we want we want to be in prayer over, concerned over. If you are obedient to the commands to pray for your leaders. For kings and all her in authority, that might be one subject for your prayers to lift it up and pray that our leaders will come to have a biblical orientation to Israel and and to do so very quickly. All right. Now, we left off in Genesis 27 with the deception here for the blessing and so forth, where we ran out of time, and I don't think we... Uh, At least I don't remember stressing it. If I did, then it'll be your second time, and and then I'll try to remember next time (laughs) that we stressed it. But notice when he finally blesses his son, when Isaac finally pronounces the utterance, how final it is. Understand the significance of what we utter when we utter a blessing and or a cursing which is the flip side of blessing. Um, the power of words is something I think we don't uh, stress highly enough. So finally, with all this deception involved, he disguised and, and all the senses were, were mocked. Visual, audio, touch, everything was, was uh, in disguise so that Isaac's deception could be complete. And uh, so finally he says, See, in verse 27, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. So in this context of Isaac issuing his blessing on the boy that he thinks is Esau, he begins his blessing with a declaration of Yahweh and Yahweh's blessings. The smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you Here's the content of the blessing itself. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. Keep in mind, he thinks he's speaking to Esau here. He thinks that he is wishing for Jacob to serve Esau. Even though... The prophetic word was that the older will serve the younger. That, that Yahweh, Jehovah Elohim, has designed Esau to serve Jacob. In Isaac's uh, twisted rebellion here, he's turned it around backwards. So be master of your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. This is what I see. This passage is one passage I see a wonderful harmony between sovereignty and free will. <laughs> Because Isaac is rebelling in his volition. But God is sovereign in conveying the blessings of Abraham from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob. Here's Isaac thinking that he's bestowing the Abrahamic covenant upon Esau. In his volition, that's what he's doing. But in God's sovereignty, Isaac is, point in fact, issuing the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob the one to whom the Lord designed it. And so um, it's, it's a beautiful correlation. It's a beautiful harmony between sovereignty and volition. Sovereignty is not thwarted, is never thwarted. Volition is exercised, never coerced. And we see the things that are happening here. Isaac's volition is not coerced. Because as far as he knows, he's still blessing Esau. But the truth is, he's blessing Jacob. Now notice how permanent it is. Once it is uttered, it's permanent, it's in effect, it has been stated. Uh, words that are gone cannot be called back. I know you've, you've, you've had it, I've had it, it's common to human experience. You have said something you've later regretted. Or you've said something you've immediately regretted. <laughs> uh, the split second later after, after uh, it went out, and then finally the mind got engaged and realized what it was you said. Just that split second later. Can you get it back? Can it be unsaid? Uh, They may forgive you for what you said, but it's still going to require forgiveness because forgetting may may be rather difficult, if not impossible. It's been said. How do you it? All right. See, this is the frustration here. And when finally Esau does come in, let's see what happens here next. Because as soon as, as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. I mean, the vividness of this, of this verse is, is sharp the very moment that it's done. So he also brought in the savory food, brought it to his father, and said, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that he, you may bless me. And uh, this is where, of course, the, the, the jig is up. It's over. And Isaac starts to tremble here. Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who is he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. Notice, it's irrevocable. It's been uttered. It has been declared. The the, uh, urgency or the power of things as they are spoken, particularly if you are the anointed of Yahweh, He is the heir of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob heritage of blessing. I believe uh, we know, I can prove biblically, uh, Abraham was a prophet. The scripture says he was a prophet. The unanimous tradition holds that uh, Isaac and uh, Jacob, likewise, um, had prophetic office in their role as patriarchs to the nation of Israel. I think it's pretty clear given the, the prophecies that scripture records them uttering that uh that they were in that prophetic utter uh, office in terms of uh, the Israel stewardship, so he says here, yes, and he shall be blessed is the recognition that those words he uttered, the Holy Spirit recorded them for us in verses twenty seven through twenty nine they were under divine inspiration, that he did not speak of his own will, but holy men of old moved as they are spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and when he uttered um, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and these all these words that follow in 28 and 29, that was under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And how's that going to be thwarted? It can't be thwarted. Balaam tried and learned the hard way. You cannot curse whom God has blessed. And God has blessed Jacob that moment that he used his prophet, Isaac, to utter these words in Jacob's presence It was on display for human and angelic witness alike. God's purpose is to bless Jacob. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Bless me, even me also. Now here's the interesting thing. How many blessings can there be? Can there only be one blessing? Or are there, in fact, other blessings in other capacities? And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Which, uh, you know, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he supplanted me these two times. Uh, he took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, what's interesting, look what follows. Well, he asks, have you not reserved, in verse 36, and then he says, do you have only one? Down to verse 38, Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? This becomes, I think, like a key, and if we were doing something deeper than a rapid survey of blessing passages, we would have to thoroughly tear this to shreds and do a complete autopsy on this concept. I mean, we have to break it down and, and point by point and item by item... Um, go through why does he only have one blessing blessings are not like superpowers (laughs) they're not like magical spells they're not like where a human being has the power to utter something and make it happen see he only has one blessing to a covenant son a son of promise because he himself is a only begotten son, son of promise. There is only one Abrahamic covenant blessing that, that God the Father gave unconditionally to Abraham. There is only one blessing of this type. Absolutely. So, um, well, bless me, even me also. Do you have only one blessing? Bless me, even me also. Do you know what a picture this is? Take it beyond simply the realm of, of these twin boys. Sometimes I wonder if this verse might be effective in talking to the pluralists of our society who think that there are many ways to, to heaven. There are many paths to truth. There's many ways to glory, so on and so forth. Bring them here and say, look at this. Do you have only one blessing? Is there only one way? No, that's some kind of limited... And then bless me also? Hmm. You're looking for blessings apart from faith in Christ? You want an eternal state in glory apart from faith in Christ? You realize if such a thing was possible, then he wouldn't have given his son to die on our behalf. The fact that he gave his son is evidence that it's the only way, Way the truth and the life, and we understand that. So Isaac, his father, answered and said, and you say, Well, wait a minute, is this, is this a second blessing? Is this also a blessing? Is this a curse? What is this? And why is it indented? You have that formatting in your Bible? <laughs> okay. Not in the original Hebrew. All right. <laughs> Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. It says a prophetic utterance. They look to the future. The heritage of Esau, the nation of Edom. Away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve. Now in itself, that's not a curse. That's actually a blessing. If you can't be the covenant nation of Israel, where else would you want to be rather than in right relationship to the covenant nation of Israel? Serving willingly, serving Uh, volitionally for blessing. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. If you think about it, of all the Gentile nations on this earth, you align yourself to Israel for your blessing, you bless them and God will bless you. If you curse them, God will curse you. Think about all the Gentile nations of the earth and who is better suited to line themselves up for blessing then the Gentile nation that is actually the twin brother nation to the Jewish nation. The twin brother nation to the nation of Israel. The twin brother to Jacob. And for a time, there were occasions where Edom was lined up for blessing. And there were God-fearing believers among the Edomites. David had a mighty man who was an Edomite. There were others that were Edomites. And then there were also times where Edomites became their biggest thorn in the flesh, their biggest enemies, their biggest adversaries, uh probably the most famous of which was Herod Herod the Great was an Edomite, viewed himself as a yahweh fearing uh you know convert to Judaism, married a high priest's daughter, gave him some legitimacy with the Jewish people, but politically he was roman and and I think uh experientially he was unregenerate and All the rest. So, another prophetic utterance here, in this case, both blessing and cursing, as it describes Edom's uh, orientation to the nation of Israel. All right, on into chapter 28, we've got another handful of passages verses 1, 3, 4, 6, and 14. And uh, these are all with reference to Isaac sending Jacob away in order to return to the land of Paddan Aram and receive a bride from among uh, the people more related to Abraham's family and not so related to the Canaanites. By this point, Esau had two Canaanite wives which were a source of grief to uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And so uh, the thought here was that a Non-Canaanite wife was what Jacob would need, and we studied that in the life of Jacob. I'm going to pass by that. I'm going to pass by chapters 30, 31, 32, 33. There's a lot of these in here, but let's go on down to chapter 47. That's the next chapter that has a significant chunk of them. And uh, in 47, chapter 47, chapter 48, and chapter 49, we now have a very old Jacob, who at the end of his life now is... Um, Relating blessings to his sons. And so now we've gone from early Jacob to late Jacob. And we wonder if maybe he's learned some things along the way. (laughs) Which he has. In some ways he has. Pardon me while I straighten out my floor mat. The... um, in some ways, he's learned a lot. He's learned a lot about grace. He's learned a lot about himself. He's been out Jacobed by his father-in-law. And uh, he's learned a lot of painful lessons, some the easy way, some the hard way. But through it all, though, he's also developed, um, because of divine discipline, because of some other things the Father put him through, he's developed a sadness that uh, and discouragement that uh, wouldn't have to be there under other circumstances we learn this early in chapter 47 where uh, he's presented before pharaoh and pharaoh asked uh, about him and his occupation and so forth and uh, and then about his great age and he talks about his life being uh, his years being few and unpleasant we get these little glimpses here of jacob in his in his older years looking at verse 9 jacob said to pharaoh the years of my sojourning are 130 Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. (laughs) Hard for us to relate to that, of course, because we're modern and not dealing with patriarchal uh, lifespans and that. But remember, when they first came through the flood, Shem and his descendants down through Abraham were uh, receiving shorter and shorter and shorter lifespans. So 130 was a disappointment for Jacob. All right. I don't know what I would do at 130, but I don't even want to think like that. Okay, I want to hear a trumpet long before that. So they've been few and unpleasant, nor have they attained the years that my father's lived during the days of their sojourning. Uh, Isaac lived to 180, uh, which is even five years longer than Abraham lived at 175. I think Isaac outlived his father as a pattern in a very interesting way. Anyway, the verses I'm keying in on here for chapter 47 are verses 7 and verse 10. Uh, We see aspects of Barakah, blessing. Verse 7 says Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So consider the role that believers can have as an impact for government officials. Consider the opportunity we have of salt and light. To provide a blessing to governors, presidents, mayors, council members, so on and so forth. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I believe this is evidence again of Jacob's um, prophetic giftedness and ministry. Down to verse 10. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So we're told at the beginning of the interview, at the end of the interview, there was uh, a blessing stated each time. Down to chapter 48. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Well, how did that work? How did he bless him? Did he lay hands on him? Did he just pronounce it? Did he? What did he do? Smear his head with oil? What did he do? We don't know the mechanics. We just know the reality of it. He blessed Pharaoh, and a comprehensive study, will hopefully show us how we, the mechanics and the process and the priority for how we bless. Because in the church age, we have blessings we're supposed to bless. Bless and curse not, we're told. And we'll say, well, how do I do that? How do I bless? I want to bless somebody. Right? Believe it or not, you you bless me every time you show up for class. How about that? There's a blessing. It's not as complicated as you might think. All right. I do well, I don't don't remember the last person. I asked you last week, when's the last time you blessed somebody that wasn't sneezing? Right? All too often, you just respond to somebody sneezing and say, oh, bless you. Well, that doesn't count. (laughs) In your priesthood, let's consider our, our responsibility and opportunity to be a blessing for one another. Over to chapter 48, verse 3, verse 9, 15, 16, and 20. Five uses of Barak in Ha in this chapter. So, let's see. It came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Remember, uh, Jacob is Israel. That's his new name, his covenant name, his name of national identity. So uh, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Luz is renamed Bethel. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. So the recognition of Yahweh's blessing in verse 3 is remarkable because he references him not as Yahweh, but as God Almighty which I find interesting. That's typically a Gentile name, not a Jewish name. But he's in a Gentile land at the moment, and uh, he's not been as intimate with Yahweh as Abraham and Isaac were. So uh, I'm not surprised that he would reference El Elyon instead of, or El Shaddai instead of um, Yahweh. But be that as it may, he is blessed by God. And now he is is, uh, wanting to, convey those blessings upon the sons of Joseph. Uh, Notice again the covenant language where the Abrahamic covenant was confirmed to Isaac, reconfirmed to Jacob. I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Keep in mind it's with Jacob who's renamed Israel that the covenant nation is established. Not with Abraham. Abraham has multiple sons. He has Isaac and Ishmael. He's got the sons of Keturah and all those other branches. But Ishmael is set aside. The sons of Keturah are set aside. They're not a part of the Abrahamic covenant. Not a direct recipient of the Abrahamic covenant. And so Abraham is not renamed Israel. And all those other sons of Abraham, not Isaac, are not a part of that. Likewise with Isaac. Isaac didn't have a whole pack of sons. Isaac had two sons. These twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau is, in fact, a son of promise because he's a son of Isaac. Isaac is a son of promise. But he is not the recipient of the Abrahamic covenant because that was then confirmed to Jacob. And so Isaac is not the one that's renamed Israel, where all of his sons are part of the nation of Israel, where all of his sons are part of these national blessings. That is reserved for Jacob. Now, Jacob is the one who's renamed Israel. So even though he's got 12 sons and one daughter, he's got all these kids. It is Jacob who's renamed Israel. And so every descendant of Jacob, it does not matter what tribe they're from. If they're from Judah, from Benjamin, from Issachar, doesn't matter. Every Jew, every descendant of Jacob is a Jew, is of the nation of Israel. Jacob is the one renamed Israel. So Edomites are not Jews. They're not part of the nation of Israel. They're sons of Isaac. They're the twin nation to Israel, but they are not Israel. Important that we recognize this. So this is what uh, Jacob is communicating when he refers to the blessings of the Lord here upon him that took place there at Bethel. Now he says, your two sons in verse five, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and what he is doing here he is he is promoting his grandsons to equal standing with his sons. He is judicially promoting grandsons to full son status, if that makes any sense. So he's got, so he's making Ephraim and Manasseh equal to Reuben and Simeon. Those were his first two sons: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. You understand the. The uh, lineage there, the descendants of Jacob. So, effectively, you've got twelve boys, but Joseph is going to receive double portion. He's going to be blessed doubly for his faithfulness. And so, there will no longer be a tribe of Joseph, as it were. It's going to become now two tribes, because Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be promoted to full son status, full tribal status. And then typically, I mean, that makes 13, so typically Levi is separated out as the priestly tribe, and you still remain 12 tribes of, uh, of Jacob, whichever way you look at it. So, um, he promotes them there in verse 5. But your offspring uh, that have been born after them shall be yours. They should be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now, as for me, verse 7 here. Let's see, our next use of blessing, though, comes in verse 9. But I want you to notice, um, verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Whose are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons. He's introducing them here, whom God has given me. So he said, Bring them to me. And look what happens. uh, He has his hands mixed up. (laughs) Really? Is this accident? Coincidence? The eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. See, this is poetic justice. This is coming back on him. Remember, because he received his blessing when Isaac's eyes were too dim to see. And he went in under deceit. Now he's the one with vision issues. And uh, Joseph is here with these boys. So, uh, some interesting things happen here. Look at verse 13 then. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right, And brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand, laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And here's where we start to learn that actually over the years, Jacob has started to put some concepts together. And so he blessed Joseph and said, The God. Before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw his, father's laid, his, his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand and remove it from Ephraim's head. You know, let's swap those hands around real quick. Not so, my father," Joseph said to his father. "Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head." But his father refused and said, "I know, my son. I know. He he also will become a great, but he uh, a people and will also be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations." Anyway, it's a it's a neat uh, ending there, particularly when you put it together with the earlier. Aspect of the older serving the younger with him and his twin brother. All right, then the last of these items coming out of chapter 49 this brings the final blessing passages to a close in Genesis, verses 25, 26, and 28, all with reference uh, to, well, 25 and 26, or with reference to Joseph. And uh the blessings there. And then verse 28, all these 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, with the blessing appropriate to him. So. Something that uh you want to consider, I think this verse 28 is key. Because this verse, I think. Highlights what happens when a husband and a father is positive to the word of God. Oriented to the plan of God. And instills within his heritage, within his uh, posterity. A recognition of God's grace and merciful dealings in your family's life. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing... uh, (laughs) We're seeing this. So he blessed them, everyone, with a blessing appropriate to him. Even even the ones that you think, man, they were... Even the, the, the wild ones, Reuben that rebelled and Reuben that was uncontrolled and defiled his father's bed, Reuben that, and, and Simeon and Levi and their violence and the things that they did, even with all the things they did, they still received the blessings of their father who committed them to Jehovah, committed them to the Lord their God, and prophesied of their future blessings. Their tribes will likewise be blessed. You talk about a story of grace. There it is. So he charged them and said to them, I am about to be regathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. The cave that is in the field of Mashpala. In other words, his, his bones are not to be uh, buried there in Egypt. Uh, the land of Canaan is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's where Jacob wants his remains to be deposit in so when the chapter ends here when jacob finished charging his sons he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people so this verse here in a more comprehensive study on blessing this verse here is huge to consider what it is as a heritage we're leaving to our children to our grandchildren to those that follow the idea that of course you can accumulate possessions you can uh you know whatever with cash and accounts and investments and property and things and all the things that a uh uh, a probate judge is concerned about or your your last will and testament and all that stuff beyond any of that is your spiritual heritage what is it you are blessing your children with and if you don't even leave them with a plug nickel but you leave them with salvation by grace through faith and the priority of Bible doctrine and the pattern and example that you conducted your life according to the integrity of the word of God. That's the issue. That's the ultimate blessing. That's what this passage here is describing. I'm currently reading some Roman history books and, and the Romans were just absolutely fixated on their legacies what it is they could leave to their children what it is that they would be and if they had too many children they they were terrified that their uh their estate would not um exalt them to the social status that they were otherwise entitled to See, if you didn't have a certain income on an annual basis a certain net worth and annual income then you were not eligible for the senatorial ranks uh, you were limited to the to the knights, and if you couldn't meet a certain income level there, then you couldn't even make the the knights level, and you were just a basic citizen uh, of admittedly of a patrician class, but still a citizen and not a knight and not a senator. And they were so worked up over that a lot of times they gave up their own children to be adopted into other families, so that they weren't diminishing their own inheritance, so that their their sons could receive the full standing that. They felt their social class was entitled to. Anyway, it's just kind of an interesting thing. They're total pagans, of course, wrapped up in what they're passing on to their children. And I thought that's, that's interesting because that's exactly, I mean, the, out of this pagan mindset, out of this um, horrible Gentile godless uh, tradition comes some of the deepest Christian doctrine that Paul records in the book of Romans when we understand the blessings we have under the doctrine of adoption. The fact that through faith in Christ, we're not only sons through spiritual birth, but we are sons, legal heirs, sons of God the Father by adoption. And it's a, it's a staggering, staggering doctrine. Anyway, it ties into what we're looking at here. With uh, Jacob blessing his sons. It just made me think about it because of this uh, series of books I'm presently reading. All right, now, the uh, passages out of Genesis. There's a string of them in Deuteronomy, then we'll hit the Psalms, and then we'll get to the New Testament. In Deuteronomy, it's similar to uh, Jacob in um, some respects, only we're now. Hundreds of years later, we're dealing with Moses and Israel being prepared to enter into their land. And as they're prepared to enter into their land, um, this is what they have to recite. They're going to do a national exercise in blessings and cursings before they're ever allowed to enter into their land. And so this whole chapter is key. The early verses are the blessing verses, but I don't want to ignore what happens after that. So, Deuteronomy 28, it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, something very critical has happened in between Genesis 12 and Deuteronomy 28. And what happened was the giving of the law. Because in the promises made to Abraham, we have the unconditional Abrahamic covenant. I will bless you. I will make you a multitude of peoples. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. There are no ifs in the Abrahamic covenant. It is unconditional and eternal for God's blessings upon Abraham. Now, when He takes them out of Egypt and He takes them to Mount Sinai and He gives them the law, the law is very conditional. Filled with great big ifs. And what hinges upon those great big ifs are blessings and cursings. Conditioned upon obedience or disobedience. And it's a remarkable change. And in particular... I have a suspicion and a theory I'm going to ask about as soon as I get to heaven in that the uh, giving of the law was in itself a test to the nation of Israel when first handed down through Moses and they were presented these great big ifs for blessings versus cursings conditional upon their faithfulness and fulfillment Think about it. (laughs) What they could have said, possibly, conceivably, or maybe what they should have said, even, possibly and conceivably, was, no thank you. (laughs) Or, Yahweh, would you mind explaining to us why we should accept Mosaic Law? I don't know that... uh, What the Lord would have said to something like that. (laughs) Unless uh, the the exercise itself was a test. No, there was a purpose for the law. The law had to come. The law had to condemn. The law had to teach. The law had to prepare the way for the coming of grace. There was a function for it and a purpose for it. And yet, in its very beginning, it was a step backwards. It was a, in the very beginning, it was a disappointment. Because a God-fearing oriented believer, Jewish believer to the promises of Abraham would have heard the stipulations of Mosaic law whereby blessings were conditioned upon obedience and cursings were uh, the consequences of disobedience and viewed that covenant as totally inferior and would have said, no, thank you. Explain this to me. Why? Should I enter, as a human being speaking, why should I enter into a conditional covenant, which I know I'm not going to keep? (laughs) I'm stiff-necked. I'm stubborn. Uh, I'm going to fail at some point. Why would I want to enter into into a conditional covenant of that nature when I'm already under the unconditional covenant promises made to, to Abraham? So appreciate the uh, tablets and uh, the the time you spent up there on the mountain, there Moses. But uh, no thanks. We're going to function under promise and anticipate the coming of the Christ, functioning under unconditional blessings as promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now that's a great big what if, of course, it didn't happen. Moses comes down off the mountain. He has these tablets. He presents to them the law. Presents them this thorough, comprehensive, conditional covenant. And Israel said, yep, we will do that. All that Yahweh has said, we will do. And they entered into the Mosaic Covenant at that point. And so, following that, in Exodus 19 and 20, and following that now, here we are in Deuteronomy 28, they're fully into the Mosaic Covenant, and that's why you see all these ifs. If you diligently obey the Lord. Then... uh, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body. And these, by the way, are the real blessed, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. They're not the happy are, happy are, happy are of the Beatitudes. These are the blessed are, blessed are, blessed are of the, uh, of the uh, Baraka blessings. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beast and so forth. And and it goes all the way down here. All of these blessings. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. And uh, just wonderful good things are happening. If. (laughs) So. uh, Look at the end here verse 13 the lord will make you the head and not the tail you uh, you only will be above and you will not be underneath if you listen to the commandments of the lord your god which i charge you today to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any of the words which i command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them that's a pretty big if now look what follows but <laughs> All right, there it is right there. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all his commandments, His statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So here is the other side of the coin. Or the other edge to the sword. Blessings and cursings. With respect to Israel and their conditional Mosaic covenant, they were all, all part of the same package. Obedience prompted blessings; disobedience prompted cursings. Cursed you shall be in the city. Cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed is your basket and your kneading bowl, and so on and so forth. So, would you rather be under a unconditional covenant or a conditional covenant? And in the blessings of being under an unconditional covenant, can you appreciate the realities of eternal blessings and the complete absence of cursings? Because we are under eternal, unconditional covenant of blessing. Blessed with every spiritual blessing the heavenly places in Christ. And there is no flip side of that for cursing that we would be subject to because there's no conditions. There's no conditions as per our faith in Christ and our present stewardship. It's a wonderful concept. All right. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. There are countless psalms that reference blessing. Don't think for a moment that Psalm 103 is the only one, okay? Okay. But Psalm 103, I thought, had a good, concentrated presentation between verses 1 and 2, and then a triplet in uh, verses 20, 21, and 22. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Here again, we want to understand, how do I do this blessing I'm supposed to bless other people. I want to bless Pharaoh. I want to bless uh, government leaders. I want to be a blessing for Barack Obama. I want to be a blessing in my assault and light in my community. I want to bless human beings. And I want to bless the Lord. How do I bless the Lord? What What could I possibly give him that he doesn't have? Well, it's not about what you give. Not the aspect on blessing here. So bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits down to verses 20 21 and 22 the end of this psalm bless the lord you his angels mighty in strength who perform his word obeying the voice of his word bless the lord all you his hosts you who serve him doing his will bless the lord all you works of his in all places of his dominion bless the lord oh my soul see here's your answer this is how you bless him You function according to what He designed you to do in the location where He places you according to His purpose to glorify Jesus Christ and you are a blessing, the Lord your God. Look at it again. Mighty in strength who perform His Word. Make use of the strength He supplies. Accomplish what what His Word reveals and you're blessing the Lord. Obeying the voice of His Word. Obeying the voice of His Word. Obey what He says, you're blessing Him. Isn't that great? See, Israel, under their conditional covenant, obeyed what He said so He would bless them. But here we are now on an unconditional basis obeying what He says. Not so that He blesses us. He's already blessed us eternally. But it's our act of blessing Him. You know, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, are you his host? You who serve him doing his will. You want to bless God? Serve him. Do his will. That's a blessing. In all the places of his dominion. Keep in his geographic will. Stay where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do. And you're a blessing to the Father and a blessing to the Son. All right, we got a New Testament approach to blessing. Romans 12, uh, 14, 1 Corinthians four twelve, and 1 Peter 3, 9. A triplet of passages there and then some others that serve as benedictions to uh, epistles, which are important also. We'll start with Romans 12. I'm hoping that this rapid survey of passages is wetting our appetites, sparking within us, leaving with an impression in our minds, but also sparking within us an appetite and a hunger to study it even more, to study it even deeper, to really tear it apart, break it down and digest it. Romans 12:14. All right. In the context of Romans 12. Say, have you had enough Old Testament? (laughs) Say, Pastor, okay, enough with the patriarchs already in Israel in Old Testament times. Goodness gracious. How about something for us? Here it is. And um, talking about members in one body. From verse 4. And we who are many are one body in Christ. In verse 5. Individually members of one another. We have gifts, we're to exercise them. We're to bless one another through our giftedness. Notice in verse 9, the body of Christ in the church is expected to love uh, genuinely, without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. See, local churches that are uh, tearing each other apart, schismatic, fighting, doing all these other goofy things, storming out, mad, starting a new church, whatever they're doing. You wonder, at what point did they stop devoting themselves to brotherly love? At what point did they stop with their agape love being unhypocritical? I have to think with the genuine agape and with the true devotion of Philadelphia, you got Agape in verse 9, Philadelphia in verse 10, and giving preference to one another in honor, seems to me that that attitude would prevent schisms and rebellions. Not lagging behind intelligence Not lagging behind intelligence See, there's always a first step on the slide into rebellion. You don't go from a passionate, positive, hungry believer who's uh, in Bible class every night, every prayer meeting uh, actively involved, serving, giving of themselves, loving the Lord, supporting their church, walking in the light. Everything is going great. You don't go from that to the opposite extreme overnight. There are steps along the way. And one of the early steps is legging behind in diligence. When your appetite starts to dwindle. And you don't make every class. You start missing some classes. Other things start coming in. Not as hungry as you used to be. Well, take or leave it kind of approach. You know? Start to drift. That's the first danger sign. Fervent spirit serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This is the recipe for local church operation right here in Romans chapter 12. This is how individuals come together corporately in these activities for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it includes blessing. It includes blessing. And look who we are commanded to bless. Our persecutors. Bless those who persecute you. The unrighteous judge, the unrighteous boss, the cruel neighbor, the whatever else is going on, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And then I love this one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Be at peace with all men. Say, well, they're not at peace with me. That's all right. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with them. They hate your guts and slander you and all. Well, that's that's on them. From your perspective, be at peace. All right. Romans chapter 12, the the uh, essence of of local church unity, the essence of how individual believers come together for corporate unity is right here. And it includes blessing, bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. So it becomes important. And right away you say, ah, this is important. It's not just Old Testament stuff. This is for present application. I need to understand this. Particularly since I seem to be persecuted at the moment. <laughs> how do I respond? 1 Corinthians four two. Or 4.12. Here's the uh, job description for an apostle. The resume, as it were. He says in verse 11, To this present hour we're both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. Right? So sign up for that. (laughs) Very attractive, isn't it? Interestingly enough, when the false apostles come along and act like they are apostles, they don't imitate this kind of stuff. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. It's a present activity for the ongoing function of the church. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I love that. The scum of the world. There's a Bible verse for you. Memorize that. The scum of the world. And that's us. In their eyes. In the world's eyes. All right? But when we are uh, slandered, or when we are reviled, we bless. Reviled as a sin of the tongue of an unbeliever levied against us. Sadly, it can also be a carnal believer reviling us. Could even be a spouse reviling us. How do you respond? Well, (laughs) you know how humanity wants to respond, but don't go there. Use the divine assets. Use God's faithful provision. Bless and do not curse. And so, uh, however the reviling comes, bless them. Absolutely bless them. Think about, again, blessing is a verbal expression of what is behind it, actually a wish prayer, a, a mental prayer to the Father. But think about it. When you pray for your enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you pray for them, what are you praying for them for? I'm praying for their blessing. I'm praying for whatever, whatever it is. They are miserable. They are nasty, ugly people. They, they're without Christ. They're without hope. They're without eternal life. They are living in this world and for this world. And their soul is wretched. And so I'm praying for them. I'm praying that God would bless them. In spite of their wretchedness, in spite of what they've earned and deserve, but because He's a God of grace, and and uh, if He blesses them beyond anything they could earn or deserve, blessing them in ways that the cosmos can't even imitate, and wake them up to what the source of those blessings even is, and pray that uh, that they'll stop being so ugly and bitter and mean and cruel, and and just pray that that these things, uh, and and see this, it's a hard thing to pray though. Because when you've been done dirt, when you've been hurt, and you've been. uh, Do you really want to see them blessed because they hurt you? The wonderful thing is, though, if they are blessed and if they are um, overwhelmed by those blessings to understand a God of grace that works in ways beyond anything they could earn or deserve, then you're laying the groundwork there for the first steps of the gospel. I mean, there's a God in this universe that doesn't function on what I've earned and deserved. How does that work? Who is he? How do I know him? What's going on? And the first exposure to grace may be the first little glimmer of light that pierces that veil of darkness. And even better, the enemy there gets saved, regenerate, born again, starts growing. And... um, I would suspect uh, from that point onward, uh, you would not receive as many of the revilings or persecutions or wicked things would probably stop happening to you very shortly thereafter, right? Isn't that a better way of going about instead of saying, you know, Lord, this person's picking on me, just hit him with a truck or something? Okay. I don't know if people might actually pray that, but... Remember First Peter three nine. To sum up, let all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. What we talk about, if you've been reviled, don't return it back. But giving a blessing for you are called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. We are the heirs of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We should reflect that in the blessings that we utter all right, these last three passages are uh, salutations at the beginning of passages, including our very own 2 Corinthians 1.3, our very own. When did, when did we own this? Our, our very own book that we're currently studying at Austin Bible Church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We have a privilege as a church to bless our Father in our worship, in our devotion, in our hymns of glory and praise. Likewise, Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In 1 Peter 1.3, another salutation of blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right, this is our rapid survey. Whoops, didn't mean to do that. Rapid survey. Oh, well, like my dragon. Rapid survey of happiness and blessing passages. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for happiness and blessing. And Father, what we've had over the past couple of weeks has been a uh, uh, maybe even overwhelming, but it's been a uh, examination of dozens of passages so as to take in the weight of what your scripture reveals concerning the subjects of happiness, first of all, and then blessing here, secondly. And Father, my prayer is that the totality of these passages might serve to come together and create a a powerful impression, uh, motivating us for even greater studies along these lines and and at least providing for us um, a big picture view of what it means to be happy in the Christian way of life and what it means to be blessed in the Christian way of life and why it's so important that we ourselves are uh, the sources of blessing as we bless and do not curse. So Father, I thank you for uh, creating this for us and allowing us to participate in this study. We pray, as always, in continuing on in our life of Christ' study, that we would learn more about Him, we might have a clearer picture of the one we are imitating, so that He is magnified in all that we do. We thank you in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.